This is a trigger warning. This episode might contain at times content that people might find difficult to listen to. Please check the show notes for more information and take care of yourself. Hi, Candace. Hi, Miriam. How are, How are you today? <laughs> I'm doing fine. And you? Okay, I'm doing okay. Looking yeah. forward to this conversation. Yes, me too. Me too. Um, we live in strange times, so yeah, and we hesitated. Should we do this podcast today? But, you know... We kept to our word, to our program, so we are registering yes. today. And yes. today, we are tackling a big one. We are talking about intergenerational trauma. This is even one of the reasons why we started this uh, podcast, because every other topic we are going to talk about is linked to this intergenerational mm-hmm. trauma, especially in the context we come from, and to people we are gearing this podcast towards people from African descent all over the world. Uh, Yeah, from African descent in the diaspora, in Africa, in the Caribbean, wherever they are, in America. Intergenerational trauma is something that affects people, what they call minority, Mm -hmm. the minority of the world, which is actually the majority, but let's say uh, minority of black and brown people. It's grounded in the context of social context and personal context and familiar context. So given how this topic is important to us, we decided to tackle it. So when, uh, if you feel stuck in your life as an adult, if you feel other people are achieving more than you, you're lost and you you feel a lot of shame from where you come from, from how you were brought up, this could be linked to intergenerational trauma. So uh, what does it uh, say to you just like that off the bat? Oh, wow. That's a heavy loaded topic. It feels like uh, the topic of internet generational trauma, once you start opening, is a little bit like a Pandora box when you realize that everything is connected. You realize that some of the decision or some of the struggle you are experimenting today are connected to decisions your parents took, which are connected to decisions your grandparents took, and you can go very far, far away in your your bloodline with that. And I've seen manifestations of international generational trauma, obviously in my life, in my family, but also sometimes in other people's lives, like you, in neighbors, colleagues, family, friends, you see, Things that look like curse, family curse, yeah, which is just like succession of trauma that are not addressed, that are not healed, that are covered by lies, fear of shame, and uh, the willingness to save face. And I yeah. think that when we talk about generational trauma, that's the core angle through which massive healing can come that's truly my belief but there are also heavy layers of a culture of secrecy just as you said about the minority quote-unquote of uh, brown and and black people we have this culture of saving face not feeling ashamed in front of society or neighbors and covering things that festers Mm -hmm. and haunt us Count our kids, hence the necessity of, in my opinion, to face it. And I'm very, very excited that we address this topic. I have the feeling that one episode will never be enough. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> everything connected yeah. to intergenerational trauma. But I'm happy that we actually start this conversation and you see where it's going to lead us in the yeah. following episodes. 
Yeah, especially for us, we both grew up in Cameroon and uh, we come from a context where people don't speak about feelings. Mm -hmm. People don't easily share their feelings. If something looks shameful, we have to hide it, as you said, mm -hmm. saving face. But the thing is, the people who are hurt are the people who are hiding and their kids, you know. Yeah. Without breaking, without speaking about things, you cannot realize how harmful it is. And then from, as you said, in some families, you just see from generation to, even in my family, from generation mm -hmm. to generation, the mom will have a child at 16, the daughter yeah. will have a child at 16. The other, you're like, oh my God, what's happening? Why are they all... Yeah, because no one speaks of it and then it just gets transmitted from one generation to the other. Yeah. And then they'll say, oh, they are cursed. They will always be poor. They will, no, they will not always be poor. It's the trauma. It Unaddressed is. trauma. People who live with trauma, it takes over your life. It hijacks your life. You're not mm -hmm. in control of your life. You think you're in control, but you're not in control of your life. And then mm -hmm. after you have, you have kids, you're still hijacked by your trauma. So you don't parent properly. Your kids... You think that they believe what you tell them, but actually the kids, they mimic adults. Yep. So the fact that you're not present, there's no reattachment to your child or you're not like the attachment is not secure enough. So mm -hmm. there's already a dysregulation. And then the child grows up seeing patterns and behaviors and being, don't say that, don't. Oh, the neighbor did this to me. Don't say that. Don't, don't let people hear that. Why, what are you saying? You don't know what you're saying. Silencing mm -hmm. kids, not believing kids. So trauma goes on. No one speaks about it. Parents don't speak about their traumas. The kids don't speak about their traumas. And so they mm -hmm. grow up, they become adults, and then they have all this shame, guilt, anxiety, depression inside, thinking they are alone, they are broken, there's something wrong with them, not knowing mm -hmm. it's something that happened to them. And it didn't start with them. It started many generations back. And I have a question for you. As I say, there are so many facets to this intergenerational trauma topic. But in your case, what is the most, looking in your own history, what aspect of intergenerational trauma has been the most revealing to you or has been or has manifested the strongest in your own life? Um not being allowed to have a voice or not being allowed to show any feelings. Like mm. no one wanted to hear me speak. At one point when I was living with my uncle, um, I didn't have the right to speak unless I was spoken to. It's hard in life afterwards to have a voice. You, even if you're upset, you have to hide it inside because if someone sees it, they will beat you up for it. You know, it builds you in a certain way. It actually dysregulates your uh, developmental milestones. You don't develop yourself. Your brain doesn't develop from one step. You know, eight year old, you do this. Eh? And mm -hmm. so it impacts you. And you don't even realize it because you don't know how other people live. You only know your own experience. You know something is wrong, but, you know, you're just surviving it. And, of course, it comes from the fact that this uncle who raised me for a little bit, he was abandoned at birth, okay? So abandoned at birth, raised by his grandmother. Uh, my mother was also abandoned and raised by her own grandmother. My grandmother was abandoned, raised by a family where she was like the slave working all day. And they treated her so badly that her marriage to my grandfather, that saved her from that abuse. Hmm. And when she had two kids with my, my grandfather, she, uh, my grandfather died in an accident. Then she abandoned her kids because 
the priority of that society was that she had to remarry quick to save the, the pride of the family. Mm -hmm. So she abandoned her kids to go remarry and then, and then she had other kids. But even these kids, she abandoned them uh, too, you know, they were all raised and you, can, you cannot imagine the mess this causes in a family. This is a family that people don't speak in the same voice, they don't understand each other. They are raising the same kind of kids. They also have kids that, you know, people are always like, oh, you know, can I send my kid to live with you? I'm like, no, you have to raise your kid. Yeah, the, the tendency of delegating yeah. <laughs> the nurturing you know? and education part yeah. of their kids of because that too, too. that's what they have been taught as well. Yeah. Like, and I return the question to you, Candace, <laughs> because it's a very uh, interesting question. Oh, super interesting and super loaded. Um, for the longest time, I've had like a lot of trust issues in myself, in people, in life, still have a lot. Because I grew up to believe that life and people were not safe and relationships were dangerous for your well-being, for your financial, physical, mental, moral well-being because I haven't been raised by parents whose marriage inspired me to think otherwise. There were a lot of conflict, infidelity, lack of communication, various forms of abuse. It was dysfunctional on so many levels that I used to pray as a child at seven years old already that my parents would get divorced and they never did. My father died when I was 20, 23 years old, I believe. Yes, I think so, 23 years old. So you can imagine the marriage never got better. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's yeah. Um, and when I deep dived into, for example, my father's side of the history, because if I, I dig a little bit deeper, I can find interesting things on my mother's side as well. But on my father's side, um, my grandfather not only was a polygamist, but he has many kids for many women who were not even married to him. You know, he had a lot of wives here and there, but many kids from anywhere and uh, groomed his sons not to be faithful to a woman. He groomed them specifically for that. Like the way to bond with him besides being successful at school, was to pick a wife that was convenient for him first, or for his vision of life, or, and once you are married, because we need to still have some kind of control over you, uh, it's important for you to start bringing other women to us to make those other women comfortable by, uh, about the fact that you are accepted in the family. And by women, I mean mistresses. There were no real constructive idea behind the fact of encouraging mistresses to come here and there, just keeping control and preventing a woman to have a control over one of his sons and therefore oh, wow. keeping the control for himself. So, he, uh... oh yeah, some of his marriages, including the marriage with my grandmother, were hella toxic, hella toxic. Uh, wow. Not being faithful was the least of the concern. Some level of violence and conflict and da-da-da, as you could see in polygamic 
marriages. Uh, like people have their different responsibility in the fact that the marriage was not working, but it was inherently toxic. And as much as I am grateful for what that man who, who chose to raise my father did for our lineage, he has very, a very toxic approach to human relationship in general, whether it is with his children or with his with women or with people in general, uh, still alive, but well, <laughs> I guess we are being transparent. Uh, and besides that, something that I've heard, I haven't been able to, I've heard it in the conversation because we don't really have like written history in our cultures, or at least not in mine, but there were questions about the fact that my great grandmother, so my grandfather's mother, used to be a divorcee when she married my great-grandfather. Mm-hmm. And most importantly, there have been rumors about the fact that some of my grandfather's siblings may not have been fathered by the official father. So suspicion, mm-hmm. at least rumors, of the great-great-grandmother not being faithful. And this information I'm sharing with you, I have learned them over the span of years. It's not like... Mm-hmm. For the entire story that was presented to me, it's like that great-grandmother story. I know it since this year or last year, basically. Yeah, so every time yeah. I put off a new layer, mm-hmm. <laughs> a new layer of it's so hard, right, to get these information about the family. It's so hard to, yeah. to get family members to tell you your story, your history. It's very, very complicated. Um, I found that now that you've addressed that question, maybe I will come back and address it a bit more. Um, but I will let you finish first. Yeah. But yes, all of that to say that if you don't have someone in that lineage that decides that I have seen with my own eyes how toxic relationships can be based on the example of my parents or my siblings or whatever, and this is going to stop with me. If you don't have a person who decides that to fight that urges and become a different person that has not been modeled to them, you keep having generation and generation of dysfunctional relationship. And I have to tell you, I have cousins that are younger than me. I'm talking about kids that were born in the 90s or late 80s mm-hmm. <laughs> that are having ghetto twins, meaning being married with a woman, having their first child, but having a child by a mistress at the same time. And you are still a kid at the time. Not wow. even in your thirties, you see, uh, and these have consequences on your physical health, yeah. on those women's health, mental, physical, emotional, on yeah. those kids, at least mm-hmm. on one side of the spectrum, if not both, both on your both. finances, on your potential. Because when you spend so much of your mental potential juggling with having mistresses, kids here and there, creating drama, creating, reproducing the chaos that you have been educated to create, yeah. you are not in a position to fulfill your highest purpose. That's and that's, I, that's one of the reasons why we decided to start this podcast anyway. Oh, yeah. And it's also because sometimes I feel that it's a, I wish we cannot recreate your family. I wish I was better equipped because I feel that I have so much to offer in life, whether it's personally or professionally, but I feel mm-hmm. like I had so many demons and fear and trauma yeah. To, yeah. to overcome. And when you look on the side, people that come from more stable, yeah, stable. family and you see what they are able to <laughs> achieve yeah. in life, 
Yeah. Not effortlessly, because there's so no such thing, no such thing as effortless. But compared to you, their life seems yeah. to be a smooth right? and and that's totally unfair. So yeah, that's a topic yeah. that is. That's uh, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, a big hurt too for me. Yeah, we've talked mm-hmm. about this uh, many times. Like uh, how all this trauma holds you back. You know your potential. You know what you want to do. You know, but using your voice. I mean, like doing this podcast for for me, it's such a big deal because. I always wanted to use my voice, but maybe uh, it's been 10 years since I want to use my voice for something. And then, thank God, <laughs> you know, we came to uh, to realize this that we have in common and these discussions led to this podcast because uh, maybe I wouldn't have had the courage by myself to do it. Um, and it comes from all these traumas, these fears, what we other people think of me. And it, it comes from this generational trauma. For years, I was so, so ashamed, Candace, of where I came from. So, mm. Like shame, like so, so much shame of my background. Mm. I would hide to everyone at university. When I was in university in, uh, in Switzerland, I wouldn't tell people where I came from. Like one person would know my history. Like I always had one close friend, one or two close friends. They would know because like I needed so much uh, emotional support, but not from everyone because I don't let people in. I don't trust people. But there will be this one person or two people where I would tell them everything about me. And it was always this fear that once they know, they will disappear because, of course, I'm not, I'm not worthy of love. I'm not worthy of anything good. And this mm-hmm. comes from all this intergenerational trauma. So you're speaking about polygamy. My father was a polygamist. He passed away in 2005. He left behind 76 kids. And uh, my mother was taken out of primary school to be married to this guy. My mother was maybe 14, you know, or 15. So that trauma already, I think she had a miscarriage before she was pregnant with me. So the anticipation, because a woman who was married without having kids, it was like the worst thing ever in that village context in Western Cameroon. So the stress, imagine, because I'm a very nervous person. I think it already comes from there because she was very highly stressed, highly Mm -hmm. stressed. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I was like the savior child. So I did not come into the world just to be, you know, like I am here, I am valuable. No, I came to serve a purpose, to save my mother, you know, from the insults Mm -hmm. and the beatings in this To serve an agenda. To serve an agenda. I was not just like a random kid. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then when my mother... um, had my sister, she ran away from the marriage. And when she ran away, my father had 18 wives living in his compound and he still had concubines coming and going, you know? And uh, so from there, she did what was done to her. She abandoned us with Mm -hmm. our great grandmother. And so from there started a cycle of abandonment, abuse of all sorts, you know? It's hard to feel valuable to feel you belong when you carry such a story in you such a you know such violence imposed Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. downloaded in you at such a young Mm -hmm. age and then i immigrated to europe where everybody seemed to have this the people had their parents mom and dad they came and picked them up at school you know every nothing made sense (laughs) and you you have this past where i tell you were cooking for you were cooking every day for the family. At 12, you were selling in a bar. And then all of a sudden, you are in this, la, 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 we are going to the ski camp. We are going, <laughs> <You know? laughs> we are going yeah. horse riding, la, 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 la. And then you're yeah. like, what the hell? <laughs> Is this real life? 
Yeah, what's was going I on? a mistake? What? Yeah, it makes you that? angry almost. Like, no, it made me very angry, very, very angry. Then, of course, I was ashamed. I started hiding. I'm like, I cannot answer basic questions. Where is your father? I cannot answer. If I answer, then you, answer, you ask another question, you know? And then, of course, you create this fake self, which, is, which comes with trauma. People with trauma, they create a fake self that goes out to the world, that you show the world, because that's what the world can accept. The world can deal with that. They cannot deal with your real self. And it isolates you even more because you feel more broken, because you feel as if, you cannot say, yeah, where my father? Oh, yeah. You do have siblings? That question. Look, it's a simple question, right? Uh, you know how I would answer? My mom had two daughters. <laughs> Not to say, yeah, I have uh, 75 uh, siblings or whatever, you know? It's impossible to had... process. Yeah. Even so... for you, it's, it's difficult to process. And I, I do exactly the same thing because, um, well, those kids didn't choose it, but my father had a lot of kids out of wedlock. Yeah. Um, more that I can, I decided just not to track it anymore because I need my sanity. Uh, and the thing is, I think the difference between me and you is that I've been so much bullied as a child and as a teenager that when I left my small town and I've experienced shame also from what happened in my family, living in a small town, people living in rather functional families from the outside and you having all those scandals like, oh, there is a, a girl having your name in my school and it's like, she's your sister and you're like, I don't have a sister, but yes, yeah. you do, you know, those kind yeah. of things. When I got yeah. out and I went to university, I became like an open book. I, I wouldn't share those things spontaneously, but if the topic come on the table, I'm very open about my personal failures, family dysfunction. I like I just give it yeah. out during conversation because once it, it freed me. Like I don't want mm -hmm. to carry the burden of the secrets of what people did. Like that's not my responsibility. I put it out and yeah. also connecting to that uh, that that phrase Oprah likes saying that truth sets you free. Yeah. So I have no problem even on the first date if this topic pops that like how many siblings do you have? I was like, well, I mean, all fairness, my, my two parents have, uh, we have four from both my parents, but I have to say that my father had children and I don't look and I don't know. I'll never know. I guess I'll never know how many siblings I have. End of the conversation. It frightens you. That's okay. But this is what we are playing with. But, uh, yeah. What you said about uh, also the fact that your mother was probably stressed uh, uh, why being pregnant with you also remind me of something that we never think about spontaneously when we talk about intergenerational trauma is the power of epigenetics. Yeah. Um, there are more and more research that shows us that sometimes even what your mother or grandmother experienced in their body yeah. Why being pregnant of your mother can impact you genetically, you know, yeah. impact your preferences, your emotion, what you are leaning towards. To. But at the same time, as they said, you have nature and nurture. So your, yeah. your genes can give you a tendency, but if you are in the right ecosystem, those tendencies may never manifest or the total opposite. And I wish... That's probably why we are doing this podcast as well. That yeah. people were more educated about the consequences of the thing they think they hide. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it manifests in one way or another, always. Yeah. always. And it's always. so much 
easier to live in your truth and to speak your truth to heal and yeah. kill whatever you know mm. genetic or mystical or familial curse that is going to be transmitted than to playing that fake game because yeah. ultimately it manifests in your life and in your children's life yeah. and through yeah. I never knew I would get to the point where I was free from shame like I thought it would follow mm. me forever and it brought me into deep depression and anxiety and that's yeah that's what it does because you're hiding you're suffering and you're pretending to everyone you're fine you know I was mm. I became a master of showing up smiling even though in the morning they told me my grandma had died like what the hell is wrong with you like when I think of that I'm so oh my god for me all these violence like you know like not showing anything just because you're so scared people would uh, judge you or see that you're not doing fine because that's how I was raised that's the trauma no one mm. ever taught me it was okay to have emotions I thought it was it was weakness to ha to have emotion it was weakness to show emotion I, like I don't tell you in Switzerland when uh, one day the, this girl in my class, someone asked her, um, are you okay? And she said, no, she's not okay. I was shocked. I'm like, wow. So someone can say, no, I'm not okay. <laughs> I thought you always have to say, uh, it's like the social contract. You have to say, yes, I am okay. No, someone said, no, I'm not okay. I was like, didn't she get the, <laughs> didn't she get the memo? <laughs> Like, you know, no, I'm are the you one okay? with, like, why are you, you know? so socially awkward? Did you, did you, did you how were you raised? Yeah, did you get any raised. education? <laughs> where Not are the, your manners? Yeah, right, not knowing that I'm the one who was, uh, who didn't get the memo. So, um, what you said about epigenetics, it's true that trauma affects the way genes are expressed. It's a new um, field of research uh, in neuroscience and in trauma work, but they've been doing it with uh, survivors of Holocaust. So mm. they see that it changes the way genes are expressed in the kids. So it affects, as you said, it's the biology. So there's this author who wrote this book, when your biography becomes your biology, you know, oh. because, yeah, because it changes the way your genes are expressed and it's passed down to your kids. Um, yep. I suffered from hunger when I was small. Um, my first daughter, she's never been hungry. But when we are eating and she's the only one, one of three, the first one, huh? she's always checking that. Um, oh, uh, is that piece of pizza? Is this? But like there are 20 pieces of pizza. She has one in her mouth, one on her plate. But she's checking that piece of pizza. You know, mm. where does that mm. come from? You know, mm. I don't know. I don't, but it mm. makes you question because there's always been enough pizza. If there's not pizza, yeah. there's something else. Why this fear of lacking that I yeah. have in my, it's, it's, that's what raised me. This mm -hmm. fear of lacking, not have, not even fear. It was lack, poverty, yeah. lack, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you see that, that gives that experiencing that like gives you a lack mentality. Like even yeah. in, when you you end up being living in a certain level of abundance or at least having food, you are yeah. still you know yeah. having that exactly. compulsive fear of oh my god everything is gonna disappear and yeah it's it's a yeah. possibility yeah yeah and that is one it's an effect of trauma too this it fear is. of lacking. When you've grown mm. up in poverty, you've grown up not having enough to eat, not knowing when your next meal will be, you have this fear. Even when you come into a situation where you you know you can have food, even if you don't have food in your fridge, you can go to the store and get food. 
there's always this fear. For example, my sister, she, we were talking the other day. She said, uh, uh, I have like 15 extra shampoos in my in my closet. When we take one, we have to buy one and put it back because if it's not there, I start uh, hyperventilating, you know. And then mm -hmm. I was telling her that I, I have, I, it's not that extreme, but I have this problem where I'm always strategizing, plotting what we need, what I, and then I order groceries online. All, that, all of that is the effect of trauma. I see my partner, he's not like that. The fact mm -hmm. that there are two eggs left and that it's going to be finished, he, he it doesn't bother him. When it finishes, you go mm -hmm. to the stomach, I'm like, oh my God, we need to get fresh eggs. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah it's, I, it's definitely an effect, yeah. I can totally relate to that as well. Like, for some reason in our own, there were always this sentiment of lack, like, I, I would see in some of my friends' home, they will have like backup toilet paper. Mm -hmm. In our home, sometimes like, oh, there's no toilet paper anymore. And there were no financial justification of that kind of like, it was, I guess, mm -hmm. a mix of poor organization or my father being a little bit scarce in the way he provided, I would say. And uh, I have, when I was at university, I because my father was still a little bit scarce in the way he chose to provide. Um, mm. I won't stay stingy because he's dead and I need to be respectful. Mm. Um, I was in situation where I was like, okay, now there is no food. They have 75 CFA francs. Mm. What are we gonna do? Or that moment where, oh, it's official. I don't have toothpaste anymore. What are we going to do? And the thing is, it looks very, I still had the roof over my head, but my belly was empty. And uh, even the, the cream for your skin, all those kind of things, you are like, okay, that is tough. And eventually I will have a, a neighbor giving me 200 to buy Gary and something mm. just to full, fill my stomach for the next couple of days. Or an uncle who gave me, 5,000 or oh, wow, 10,000 French CFA, like mm. 15 euros, and made me feel like a baller and buying new toothpaste and feeling rich, like, oh, yeah. I have a full tube of toothpaste, you know. Oh, and goodness. from that time, like, I can't stand, when people tell me that, oh no, like, if it's finished, I go and buy the grocery store. We don't live in like Soviet Union. You can go to the grocery store and buy it. And I'm like, nope. If I start seeing my toothpaste thinning, 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 and I know that there is no backup, I have anxiety or I feel depressed. Like, I feel like, oh, you too, you are letting yourself down. So I always have backup and I guess it's a consequence of oh, yeah. the, and I'm always like, I'm always fascinated by the fact that people don't have backups yeah. in and their life. Just live like that, you don't have a plan B, C, D, E. Oh, wow. It's so true. But self-awareness is really free. Yeah, yeah. That's as you know why you do those things. And I have a question for you, though. How it's a lifelong process to deal and manage and heal from those intergenerational trauma, but how has healing started for you? What was the, the process or the turning point of you engaging in that healing journey from some of your intergenerational trauma? Um, like for me, I use school to repress my feelings, you know, 
the Amaya Angelou says, survival is important, or important, but uh, thriving is elegant. So nice. we are trying to we are trying to be elegant now, but it has not always been the case. We've survived mm-hmm. for many many years, way into adulthood, um, I would say. Um, yeah, so school and control, like, I, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I had to control everything in my world. Like, I didn't trust adults because for me they made only poor decisions that impacted my life. So mm-hmm. I wanted to control everything that happens to me, but you know. You cannot control life. There are many things you cannot control, <laughs> much to my sadness. So for many years, but school helped like keep me on track. School helped me as a girl child. Um, okay, my fear of men to help me in that context. Um, it shouldn't have been like that, but at least like keep me away from uh, pregnancy. Distractions. Or, yeah, yeah, distractions. So, um, but. At one point, I saw that even though I was not living in the trauma anymore, the trauma lived in me and controlled my Mm. life. You know, the trauma totally controlled my life. I was still totally in survival mode. Even when I was in Switzerland, I was, at one point I became, it was, I was not safe when I moved there, but at one point I really became safe, but I was not safe. I was hyper vigilant. Um, I always made sure I was in a mood where if I saw someone trying to chase me, I could run like, uh, I wouldn't say Usain Bolt, let's calm down. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I could run really fast to save my life. Mm-hmm. That's when you're in hypervigilance, right? Um, mm-hmm. Fight, flight, freeze, you know. Mm-hmm. That's the trauma brain where your prefrontal cortex that makes rational decisions and everything gets shut down. And then your limbic uh, brain is firing. It's telling you there's danger when there's no danger. And then inability to connect with others, you know, that I was hiding. I, I could make friends, but I was hiding my true self. Mm. And um, yes, at one point, it just became too much. It just it just became too much suffering. I would achieve things and I was never happy about them. Mm. You know, it was all fear-based. I would, mm. Oh my God, I will fail, I will fail. And then I get my master's degree. I'm like, oh, I should have done better. I only passed. I should have been excellent. You know, it was always mm. like that. But I felt stuck. I didn't know what to do. And um, when I had kids, not even mm. before I had kids, as I said in uh, in the Workaholic podcast, when I started mm. working, I couldn't mm. do it anymore. So mm. I had a breakdown. And then, but the word trauma didn't come until two years ago. You know. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. What was it then? At the time, what was the word for you? How did you? I didn't know. I just knew. What I, was I knew. The, lab, the label on the Pandora box? I was feeling empty. Like, I was feeling so empty. Like, imagine, a, um, how do you say it? A Halloween, uh, how do you say it? Citrouille. Um, a pumpkin? Yeah, a Halloween pumpkin that you've emptied. I was feeling mm-hmm. super empty, you know? Mm-hmm. But I couldn't know why. You know, I knew why. I was feeling empty, disconnected and everything. And then when I was pregnant with my third kid, a girl like me, <laughs> mm. which was also kind of, uh, I was like, okay, things have to change. If I don't change something, I'm going to transmit all of this hurt to my kids. And then I consulted this psychologist who told me about trauma. She told me about trauma. She gave me a book to read, Trauma and Recovery. Mm. And when I read that book, it was wow. Because in there, it was as if someone got into my brain and was describing mm-hmm. my reactions and my, my thought processes. Mm-hmm. And it comes from trauma. I was structured mm-hmm. that way. 
by all the abuse I went through, all the neglect mm. and everything. So from there, like first step is gaining consciousness, knowing what's going on, you know? Yep. Yeah, it was so freeing because actually you are well-spoken. I am well-spoken in front of a psychiatrist, a therapist, because you speak so well. They say, oh no, all the time I went, oh no, it's nothing. You're being worried. You don't have any problem at all. <laughs> How many times they've told me that? You are good. You are good, you know. And I knew I was not. But just because, mm -hmm. you know, you have this capacity to, to self-reflect and everything, they minimize it. So this woman, she, she understood me and mm -hmm. it was helpful, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you, like, when did you gain consciousness that it was trauma? What did you think it was before you gained consciousness? Before I gained consciousness... I was just being smarter than the people who came before me. Mm. I was like, oh, well, so you are going to put your life into the hand of a man that doesn't really add value to your life, or you're going to just give up everything connected to your potential for, for a guy, or you're going to be submissive to a dysfunctional family, or you, you are going to allow and faithfulness and guys not showing sure, like I was like I'm not gonna be that girl I'm gonna be have weaknesses <laughs> I'm gonna fall into trap but I'm gonna take myself out of this situation and just like you education and career were my saving grace because I was like I don't want a life where for example when my father wasn't happy sometimes he wouldn't have food it wasn't because he didn't have the money because he wasn't happy so there were no proper food available or no food available at all. Um, sometimes my mother had to, I have seen her plead and make lists like application in order to have money to go and do grocery shopping. Like this is the proposal list of groceries and my father will validate or reject things and be like, okay. So for me, it was very important oh, wow. not to be in a situation where I could be controlled or abused financially, physically or otherwise, or tolerate long-term unfaithfulness because this is what you're supposed to do. I've, I, I've developed some kind of resistance to authority because, voila, yeah. uh, and, and school and education and career were my saving grace because at some point, and it extracted me from uh, abusive relation, an abusive relationship because I ended up in one, but I didn't stay in it. I strategized to get out of there as soon as I could. Uh, school and education and career were my saving grace. And it's when I did, I chose to be in, the, in another relationship that wasn't abusive, but I didn't want to be in that relationship, but I decided that that's what I deserved. Mm. And uh, for the sake of safety and a biological clock ticking and yeah, making rational decisions. Like this person seems stable, not overly inspiring, not overly exciting, but hey, what do you really deserve more? Stick with that and you're gonna have what you need, which is stability and a family and a ring and something like that. Turns out the person wasn't that nice at the end of the relationship, huge betrayal, huge trauma. It literally broke me down. And mind you, I wasn't even in love because I made mm. a practical decision to be in that situation. But I trusted the person because it was supposed mm. to be a safe person. Turns out yeah. it wasn't at all. And it broke me at a very critical point of my life where I had also 
a lot of new professional geographical family challenges and mm. it brought me to the core and forced me to deep dive into who are you mm. who did you have to be to choose so easily to betray yourself in being mm. in a relationship that didn't make sense for you from the get-go and now you're yeah. paying the price so mm-hmm. i was broken Mm-hmm. Literally, it was like death and rebirth, and it forced mm-hmm. me to. That's when I became serious about a little bit more serious about yoga, meditation. I took my interest for personal development to another, other, other level, and that's how it started. Before that point, I have seen therapists for, you know, traumatic situation at work, etc. But up until that point, I never connected crisis to my history, mm-hmm. my family. It yeah. was always like, okay, there is this boss that makes me want to die. Why stay alive? It wasn't yeah. about, yeah. wasn't that deep. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, for the the sake of you know giving value to our audience, how would you advise someone whose life, whether it's personal or professional, has some hurdles? is feeling empty or is feeling a little bit out of control with the choice they made or things that are happening in their life, which step would you advise them to take in order to, you know, mm-hmm. the first steps towards healing and, and consciousness? Yeah. So I know that there's one big thing that blocks people from starting their healing journey. It's the, the guilt and shame towards their family. So people mm-hmm. think that if they acknowledge that their childhood wasn't perfect, that they were abused, they were neglected. It means they are blaming their parents. So some mm. people, they don't even go there because of that. Like they stay in denial. They know there's mm. a problem, but they don't connect it to that because they don't want to, you know, they don't want to shake the, you know, rock the boat. Yeah. But the thing is both can exist at the same time. You mm-hmm. can still love your parents and still acknowledge that they were lacking in certain ways. They were mm-hmm. not emotionally available for you. They were abusive physically, uh, mm-hmm. you, you know. You can mm-hmm. acknowledge that because then it gives you power to yeah. be able to make changes today in your life. Yeah. Because if you don't acknowledge that, it is as if it's something that is wrong with you. Instead of mm-hmm. the trauma question, what happened to you? Because something mm-hmm. happened to you that shaped you in a certain way. So when you come to accept and gain that consciousness and accept that, okay, this pattern has been going on in my family, but it will stop with me. You know, Mm. it will stop with me. I will not continue this. If this doesn't make me happy, I don't feel great inside. I will change this. Of course, people will stand up to you. Most of the time, people will not understand when you're bringing new ways, people don't just accept. It's okay. You have Mm -hmm. to accept that people will be uncomfortable and you will be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But mind you, when you start changing, when you start your healing, it's very, very, very uh, attractive. People around you will change. If one person heals, it changes the dynamics of their relationship with the other people. Even if it doesn't heal the others or it doesn't put them on a healing journey, it changes the negative patterns that have been passing down from generation to generation you know Mm -hmm. there's one thing that i discovered in my family that you know something was like in the way we related it was always uncomfortable um for example me my sister and my mom we always told Mm -hmm. each other stories 
Um, mm. But the center person was my mom. Like instead of mm. me communicating with my sister, we always mm-hmm. went through my mom. That's what they call triangulation. So I didn't speak directly to my sister and this mm-hmm. for many years. And mm. so we had lots of assumptions on what one thought of the other, which were not true, actually, mm. because it came from this tension that, oh, OK, um, you said that to mom, so it means you don't like me, you know. Mm. And then when we started talking directly, I said, oh, you said this. No, I never said it. Oh, I never said it like that. This was the context. So this is called triangulation. It's a very negative way of relating, you know. Mm. Uh, I'm not blaming my mom. I don't think she knows better, Mm. given the way she grew up with no nurture, nothing. But Mm -hmm. when you realize that, you stop that, and actually it has changed all our relationship. It has changed our relationship, you know. That's just an example of a pattern, you know, that Mm -hmm. you can realize Mm -hmm. and stop it. If mom wants to triangulate with other people, well, that's up to her. But with us, we're going to set the boundary that here you don't triangulate, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, We speak directly to one another. If I need to tell mom something, I tell mom. If I need to tell sister something, Mm -hmm. I tell sister. We don't Mm -hmm. do that triangle thing that is actually really toxic, the way of communicating. It is. is. But I've seen that in other families. And generally, they revolve around a very central parents, mostly yeah. mothers from my experience, yeah. very few times father, uh, but who are at the center of those communication, pulling the triggers. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 I've seen that. Yeah. I've seen kind that. of manipulating everyone, you know. Because, yes, a little bit, um, yes. Yeah, because then the information always flows to the same source. Yeah, I mean, it's a way of keeping people close to you. But mm-hmm. it's a kind and of feeling safe by controlling whatever yeah. interaction. And feeling safe, right? Which is mm. part of, for example, my mother's trauma, right? Mm. But that's why it's important to know these patterns, to gain this consciousness. Well, after gaining consciousness, of course, okay, you know there's a problem. What's mm. the next step? It takes time. There's no one method fits all. So there's no, uh, mm. you just do this and your trauma goes away. No, it's kind mm-hmm. of a lifelong work you have to be doing process right so yeah uh, there are many things you can do meditation is good because it keeps you grounded in the present because with trauma we are often stuck in the past Mm -hmm. you know the past Mm -hmm. is so present for us so Mm -hmm. um, meditation can keep us grounded here and now Mm -hmm. Um, journaling journaling for self-discovery they are journaling prompts we'll be offering coaching on that in the future for those who are mm-hmm. interested mm-hmm. Uh, where you can journal to discover who you are you know yeah. to discover your core beliefs because most of the time when you have trauma it's uh i am not worthy uh, no one cares about me i don't deserve mm-hmm. anything you know mm-hmm. so when that's your core belief well then your choices in life of course, you gravitate towards a narcissist who would hurt you. You gravitate towards uh, how strange a boss who is not, you know, who is abusive. Yeah, I kept having the same kind of boss. I'm like, wow, I change continents. I still have the same boss. There's something wrong somewhere, <laughs> you know? Yeah, patterns. things like that. Yeah, patterns, right? Mm. So, yeah, so until we gain consciousness, uh, we, we don't... Uh, yeah, we just keep really, we yeah, we just keep relieving this abuse we went through, you know. Yeah. And then we don't even know that it's abuse sometimes. 
And then because we are not conscious, that's how we were mm -hmm. raised. We were beaten, mm -hmm. we were frightened, we were mm -hmm. starved. And then you, you mm -hmm. grow up, you have a partner who is not respectful, who treats mm -hmm. you bad. And then you, it seems mm -hmm. familiar, right? It's familiar. Absolutely. And then you think that's normal. And then actually you mm -hmm. think normal is boring. Ah, no, that's, that guy is so boring. It's, but yeah. that's a normal guy, a healthy guy. He doesn't cheat. He doesn't beat you. He doesn't put you in a situation where some women call you to insult you. Oh, no, he's too boring. No, <laughs> that's what yeah. a normal human being is about, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. But that's not what you know. That's not how you were raised. That's not, you know. That's your normal. That doesn't feel yeah. like home. That doesn't feel like home. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The chaos is not there. So it's a lot of work. Yeah, mm -hmm. to uncover that. Um, I don't yes. know. I'm, I'm sure I forgot something. So, how have you been from your from gaining consciousness? Like, how have you been like uncovering the layers of? Uh... For me, um, in addition to everything that you said that I I fully agree with, it started rather early. I would say by choosing to reject the family template. Like, because I've witnessed so much dysfunction in my home, in my extended family, I looked at it as a, even as a kid and I was like, I'm not going to do this. Oh, but this is our culture. This is how we do this. This is like, I am not going to do this. If I have one thing to tell to people from, you know, immigrant, African, traditional, conservative and whatnot kind of family where you are supposed to be what your family, a reflection of what your family has been. Uh, make choices that are comfortable for your family. Stick to, quote unquote, your culture. Mm -hmm. um, I will kindly say F that, excuse yeah. my French. Yeah. You need to reject every bit of it until you find yourself and then you choose what interests you in that model and what you are not going to take with you. Uh, that myth of, oh, our tradition, our culture, our father, these are dogmas that turns yeah. you into a robot that are in, yeah. unhappy with your own life, but you're just reproducing things because that's what you have been told and you are not being yourself. So for yes. me, started, I'm going to do what I feel is right for me. And it's frightening because mm -hmm. I'm first born. So nobody showed me the way, like nobody yeah. hold my hand and said, this is safe, you can go there. So there were a lot of trials and yeah. error, but that yeah. built my self-confidence, my self-awareness, my sense of self. So I can proudly be this Pan-African <laughs> world citizen uh, with Cameroonian origins and decided that at this stage of my life, I'm not going to tolerate womanizers in my mm. space. That's something I want to do. I've, I've seen the limit. I'm not going to do that. Oh, I'm not going to tolerate this kind of negligence or disorganization or lack of accountability, responsibility for my own safety. And most people feel trapped in their career choices, mm -hmm. in the type of people they need to marry, in how they structure their life, how they live. Mm -hmm. They feel limited to the options that are given them by their family history, their family tradition, and their family preferences. And I respect that. Uh, but I have to say that ultimately growing in a relatively dysfunctional environment gave me the tools to my freedom, I have yeah. to say, because some yeah. people are not aware that they grew up in dysfunctional environment because 
financially everything was provided and there was some sort of support slash control mm. that makes you feel like if I turn my back on this, I'm going to betray someone who has invested in me that has quote unquote loved me and, and stuff. So yeah, my disobey your parents, basically yeah. that's my yeah. politics because I truly yeah. believe that anyway, as a child, your parents might be your manager, whether they are good or not. But once you become a grown up, they have to be your consultant, meaning that you go oh, to yeah. them when you need and you are free to take the advice or not. not. And that's, that's how true. you become your true self and you don't wake up at 60 full of regrets, having yeah. made choices that were not really yours and sometimes living a double life for some mm-hmm. of us. Yeah, uh, that's why people... They have double, triple lives, uh, no. mistresses, because they cannot be themselves. They will choose a wife yes. that maybe they don't really want to marry, but it looks good. The families yes. agree. And then after yeah. they need to another one, because that's where they can fully express themselves. Express so, the complexity like, of their true character. Yeah. You know, so if mm. you're your true self, then you can leave all that I also put it in the bigger frame. It pulls us back as Africans. Uh, let me speak it of the content. Because when you're so busy managing a, a mistress number one, two, three, four, five, that's not when you're going to reach your full potential. That's not when you're going yep. to create the next technology that is going to, uh, you know, create a one billion jobs for Africans. You know, that's because you're so busy. That's the trauma, yep. you know, and we have to break yep. these cycles. We have to mm. break them. And especially, we have to also protect our women, the girl child. You, I'm sure this is something we've talked about. Growing up as a girl child, especially with all the abuse and the neglect, I felt very unsafe. Of course, I had encounters of abuse, sexual abuse, but I had to put in so many different strategies to protect myself. To protect myself from young men my age when I was a teenager or sexual abusers, the neighbor, the, this. And we put it in a context where if the child come and says, this neighbor did this to me, they say, ah, shut up, don't say such things, it's horrible. The, what we our neighbors think of us? Instead of listening to the child who is saying that they went through abuse. Mm-hmm. And this has to change. It's not only mm-hmm. this, but you know, we have to protect the girl child because we grow up not being protected. It's not because I was protected that I went to school. I don't know by which miracle, because all my uncles who used to beat me, they cannot really read and write, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but the grip they had on me, the fear they instilled in me, it followed me for years, even when I was an adult. I wanted mm-hmm. to study medicine because my uncle, who used to beat the shit out of me, wanted me to be a doctor. It's only in the last year of high school that I realized I don't want to be a doctor. Actually, I want to study uh, uh, literature. <laughs> That's what I like, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay, I changed my mind many times because, as you said, being a firstborn, no one in your family having studied, you don't know. You go here and then you go there and then you change your mind again. Mm-hmm. But that's mm-hmm. why a different day. But mm-hmm. up until then, I wanted to fulfill my uncle's vision for me, my abusive mm-hmm. uncle's vision for me. And mm-hmm. even though it was not conscious, I decided to study something more in line with what I wanted to do, even though, you know, I keep rediscovering myself, let's say. Mm -hmm. But today, when my mother comes and tells me, oh, your uncle says hi, he really wants to speak to you. I'm like, what do we talk about, mom? The fact that he used to beat the shit out of me, the fact that because I uh, took 1,000 
CFA and bought myself pain chargé. Uh, and I took the bus and I bought myself a berger, a yogurt drink and drank. He beat me and he gave me this cut on the forehead and this cut between my, my nose and my lip. What's 1,000 CFA? Uh, 1.5 euros. Thank you, 1.5 euros. So now as an mm. adult, what do you want me to tell my uncle? Like what can we possibly talk about? So the boundary is there. No, mom, you can talk to him if you want. But me, I'm not mm. talking to him. And this is what we have to, we are adults, you know. We are adults like our parents. We don't need to have that imbalanced relationship where they tell us what to do. We can set the boundaries and say, okay, these are your choices. These are the choices I make for myself. Mm -hmm. These are the healthy choices I'm going to make for myself because that's what's good for me, for my relationship, for my kids. That's mm -hmm. how we should turn this around, you know. Mm -hmm. And you said something very important in, I don't know if it's the last uh, podcast we recorded, that culture is for the people. And when culture mm -hmm. doesn't work for the people, you have to change. You need to change it. Yes. Yeah. This patriarchy... This, uh, um, in my context where I grew up, women don't have a voice, you know. They don't have a voice, they marry them young, they're there cooking, cleaning all day, and then the men, they just sit there. It used to piss me off so much when I was a child. I was so angry about this, you know. And uh, this has to change. This has to mm. change. We should give young girls the tools. Mm. If they want to marry afterwards, let them marry, but like give them the mm. choice, you know. And for us that we got ourselves out of there, we need to use our voice. More and more of us need to use our voice. Which is a, a, a very beautiful conclusion to reconnect with the fact that the truth will set you free. So yeah. use your voice, break the cycle, yeah. Yeah. face especially, your fear. Yeah, yeah. especially for Change us the culture. Yeah. yeah. I have the feeling that women and girl child could be another series of episodes in itself. Oh, yeah. There are so many years. <laughs> Layers. <laughs> yeah. I'm afraid this episode wouldn't fit it as much as it deserves, but uh, yeah. it's a beautiful segue into um, another conversation, hopefully. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, I'm happy that we opened this door. Certainly not the last time we talk about this topic of trauma, which is at the core of what everything we do. As always, I, the people will be able to find the, the different resources connected to what we talk about and even other resources that we didn't necessarily address in this episode uh, yeah. in the show notes. And, yes, uh, and book recommendations. Um, like, uh, it didn't start with you. It's a book uh, where you can see that uh, there are many patterns in your family that didn't start with you or mm -hmm. the way you received it and you can change it actually you can do something mm -hmm. about it so we want to, you to realize that the main takeaway is that you can receive your agency back and you can change things for yourself and for future generations and for people around you yeah amazing yeah amazing Any thank you for wonderful... i think we have said it all blogging tips uh, the resources are going to be there and yeah. this is only the beginning anyway so looking forward to see what the people think but also to keep going deeper and addressing other aspects of this never-ending and fascinating and very central topic of intergenerational trauma especially in our communities yes that's amazing thank you so much Gadas. thank you <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
bye 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 bye